1: Our scripture reading reading this morning is Acts chapter 11, verses one through 18, and I'll be reading the translation from the message. God has broken through. The news traveled fast, and in no time, the leaders and friends back in Jerusalem heard about it, heard that the non-Jewish outsiders were now in. When Peter got back to Jerusalem, Some of his old associates, concerned about circumcision, called him on the carpet. What do you think you're doing, rubbing shoulders with that crowd, eating what is prohibited and ruining our good name? So Peter started from the beginning and laid it all out for them step by step. Recently, I was in the town of Joppa praying. I fell into a trance and saw a vision, something like a huge blanket lowered by ropes at its four corners, came down out of heaven and settled on the ground in front of me. Milling around the blanket were farm animals, wild animals, reptiles, birds, you name it. It was all there. Fascinated, I took it all in. Then I heard a voice, go to it, Peter, kill and eat. I said, oh no, master, I've never so much as tasted food that wasn't kosher. The voice spoke again. If God says it's okay, it's okay. This happened three times and then the blanket was pulled back up into the sky. Just then three men showed up at the house where I was staying, sent from Caesarea to get me. The spirit told me to go with them, no questions asked. So I went with them, I and six friends to the man who had sent for me. He told us how he had seen an angel right in his own house, real as his next door neighbor, saying, go to Joppa and get Simon, the one they call Peter. He'll tell you something that will save your life. In fact, you and everyone you care for. So I started in talking. Before I'd spoken half a dozen sentences, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as the Spirit did on us the first time. I remembered Jesus's words, John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, if God, if God gave the same exact gift to them as to us when we believed in the Master Jesus Christ, how could I object to God? Hearing it all laid out like that, they quieted down. And then as it sank in, they started praising God. It's really happened. God has broken through the other nations opened them up to life the word of god for the people of god thanks be to god
0: Hitting the high notes. It's hard, to, it's hard to see some, you know, with the masks. We don't know. We just got to experience as one. So thank you, our choir. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and our redeemer. Vision is something that we hear a lot about these days, how important it is to individuals, how beneficial and necessary for groups and organizations. There are vision statements and there are vision boards, those creative depictions of our hopes and our imaginations that are said to help us keep our vision in front of us so that we don't lose sight of it or we don't get off track. How many folks here have ever done a, a vision board, a personal vision board of kind of where you you 're letting your imagine move into imagination move into the future, and how many of us have have worked in a group or an organization that that tried to to imagine what what the vision was for that group? We have a vision statement for Epworth on our our website, so this is something that we've all been involved in. And, um, you know, sometimes it's it's something more personal. Maybe it's a big extended family gathering that we have a vision for, a new home or a new project we feel compelled to do, or a way of life, or a kind of being that we want to move more fully into. Well, one of the visions that I've had the privilege of pursuing and carrying out was the building of the multi-faith living community, uh, which was part of the campus ministry that I led at UC Davis. And this vision came in response to two realities. The first reality was that the, the campus ministry, when I arrived there in 1999, had been dis- become disconnected from students of the campus. And when I arrived, there were just five students who were a part of that ministry. And that resulted in a financial crisis because the potential supporters of the ministry couldn't see what it was doing, didn't understand a compelling reason to give to the ministry. And the second reality was that the, the ministry didn't know how to connect what it was offering to the pressing needs of the day. So we were grappling with these realities and then 9-11 occurred. And I'm sure you can recall the, the trauma and the violence of that event and how it caused much soul searching and how many were wondering, you know, how can we prevent this kind of attack from ever happening again? And at the same time, Islamophobia was on the rise. And so in response, a vision began to take shape for the campus ministry of building a multi-faith, intentional residential community for students addressing the extreme need uh, for housing in the town and the lack of community that students experienced and creating a space for peacemaking and understanding of students from different faiths. I poured my heart and energy and soul into this vision, always keeping it in front of me, this dream of building new housing and creating lifelong relationships an understanding between students of many faiths. It took eight years and finally six new townhouses were built and they were full with 42 students from six different faiths and I thought we've realized this vision beautiful and perfect right? Well like like with all visions the, the reality as it unfolded was not exactly like the original vision. And in fact, what I had imagined would be the centerpiece of communal life, this midweek vegetarian community meal prepared on a rotating basis for the whole community by students in each of the six townhouses, turned out to be the most challenging part. It turns out that multi-faith eating is, is very complicated, much more complicated than the original solution I had imagined, which was just to make every meal vegetarian. So one Wednesday night near the end of the first year, and this was about this time of year in May, and um, UC Davis is on the quarter system, like all of the UCs except UC Berkeley. So Professor Downs can attest to this: that at this point in the quarter system, everyone is exhausted, and everyone around you is graduating, and you've got still another month, and so uh, people are feeling a little short and cranky, and and that, and then you know it's starting to get hot. So this was the atmosphere and I entered the, the kitchen on that Wednesday night and clearly something was wrong and it was more than just that people were cranky at the end of the year. The students who were making the dinner that night happened to be Sikh and Sikhism is a religious tradition that very, has very strict laws about cleanliness and most of the adherents are vegetarian. They were making homemade pizza And this particular group of students considered that to be their specialty. So as they were happily making their pizza in the community kitchen of the main campus ministry building, a staff member walked in and questioned whether the cheese they were using was kosher, which was a requirement for the community meals. Well, it turns out it wasn't. But the students knew the brand, and they knew that the brand adhered to the same criteria that would allow something to be designated kosher. And a conflict ensued. The sometimes fragile harmony of the multi-faith living community began to feel in jeopardy. This was not what I had envisioned. Well, our scripture today from Acts has a first century version of this scene. Peter has been in the region of Joppa, which is today basically the the region around Tel Aviv. And this is where we met him last week when he raised Dorcas from the dead. He was in that area. But then he, he comes back to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he's criticized for eating with those who were uncircumcised. In other words, Those who he encountered said he was being unfaithful by eating with people of another religion and culture and ethnicity. But then Peter told them about his vision and it's an odd one. It's this sheet that comes down from heaven and it's kind of including wild beasts and reptiles and birds. And Peter says in, in his vision, he hears a voice saying, get up and kill and eat. And he protests, but then the voice says, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And so from that moment on, Christians became the omnivores of the religious world, getting to eat anything that looked or tasted delicious to us. But importantly, while many have interpreted this scripture to be one that urges us to let go of lines that divide us, It was exactly that tradition 2,000 years later that became problematic in the kitchen of the multi-faith living community. 2,000 years of mostly being omnivores with only one simple food ritual involving the fruit of the vine and the the bread in a way had left us Christians ill-prepared to honor and really understand the complexity of different religious traditions, practices around food. And defaulting to a blanket, vegetarianism clearly wasn't going to cut it. So this points to one of the important developments in the the interfaith and multi-faith movement. In the early part of the interfaith movement, there was this temptation to say that all religions are one. But as historian Stephen Protero has written, God is not one. And he's explicated the distinct and beautiful differences between religious traditions. In the development of the interfaith movement, as persons began to engage more deeply in interfaith relationship, we began to realize that the default to our common denominator masked our difference and actually prevented us from knowing each other in the depths of our complexity. It's in the opportunity to engage difference that we find the key gift of multi-faith community or in multi-ethnic or multi-racial or multi-gendered community for that matter. Now, I I know this community and I don't think that that's a point that's really new to you. Berkeley and the East Bay and our section of Northern California are known for our ability to embrace the complexity of difference. We're, we're not always perfect at it, but I think in general we understand that there—that while there are commonalities, there is there, the, the beauty and the, the real energy lies in the complexity of our difference. Our scripture today is a reminder that what is problematic is as much about whether or not we are able to hold and honor and learn from many kinds of difference as it is our temptation to think we've got it all figured out. You know, the food, the, the, the food in our scripture today, the, the, the words that, that Peter hears and then that come out of his, his vision, those are a metaphor. Those are a metaphor about judgment and about exclusivism and about thinking that we've got it all figured out. Did you notice in the scripture that Peter never said what his vision meant? He just shared his scripture and then his next move after sharing his vision was to affirm the way the Holy Spirit was moving in his life. And this is such an important thing to hold and remember when we are talking about vision. Any kind of real vision is going to necessarily be an engagement with the unknown. Visions pull us into the not yet, which is by definition different from the now. But in order to get there, we cannot hold on to what we think we know, even if what we think we know is tied to a previous vision we had been following. Just like I was confronted with an expansion of the vision of what multi-faith eating would look like and what it would open for us in terms of knowing each other as unique communities of faith, Peter surrendered his vision of what it meant to be a faithful Jew as he stepped into a new vision, God's vision. You see, our, our vision's Our visions that take shape and and compel us to dream and act are always connected to call. And call is always about moving into God's vision. Real visions are a response to an observed or a felt need. And when we become aware of a need in the world, we become open to call. Calls come from God. And because God is always working through us to respond to the world's needs, we are always asked to stay open to call. And in responding to call, even with the limited vision that gives us, we are living into God's vision. As we move into God's vision, what we find is expansiveness, that keeps opening us in deeper and deeper love, complexity, and peace. When I thought we had realized the vision of the multi-faith living community by completing construction and opening to the first student group, what I found was that we had only just scratched the surface of God's vision. Writer and theologian Rachel Held Evans has written, It's a frightful thing, thinking you have to get God right in order to get God to love you, thinking you're always one error away from damnation. It's a kind of legalism, really. And how ironic. The very condition of humanity is to be wrong about God. The moment we figure God out, God ceases to be God. Maybe it's time to embrace the mystery and let ourselves off the hook. That night, in the kitchen of the multi-faith living community, we solved the issue at hand through the grace of listening, through kindness and compassion, and through realizing there were many options and ways to move forward than we had previously thought. We resolved the conflict by moving into God's vision that was so much bigger than our vision but it's important to remember that we got closer to God's vision by having the courage and the perseverance to follow what we first saw, by responding in hope to what was a call into the not yet, and by having the humility to acknowledge that even what we thought was a fulfillment of the vision was really just the beginning. There was so much more that we didn't know and so much that was still unfolding. Maybe you have been aware of a need in the world or maybe a need right around you. Maybe it's very personal. Pay attention. This is the beginning of call. And maybe you have already acknowledged a call. I encourage you to open yourself. This is the beginning of vision. Maybe you've been pursuing a vision, and maybe you're even frustrated, feeling like you're not getting where you thought you would. I can understand that. Eight years is a long time. But I encourage you to be patient. God's vision is beyond our imaginings. May we all have the courage to trust the needs that we feel the calls that are embedded in those needs, and the visions that God entrusts to us, knowing that within our limited ability to see, there is God's call, and in responding to God's call, we enter truly into God's vision. Amen. Have a great week. Makes me sing.